morning. It's good to have you here at Cornerstone. That was uh, one of the sweetest times of worship I've ever experienced here, so I'm so thankful for, for that time that we've already had together. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 5. If you have a Bible and want to start opening up to that, or you can open up our church app and click on the notes, and we can start there. We're in our Jesus is, is better, better than series, and the author's just trying to convince us nonstop, Jesus is better than anything and anyone that we can imagine. He's even better than us when we're not getting better. When we stay in a state of spiritual immaturity, Jesus is still good towards us. You know, uh, in physical maturity, growth is expected. I think they say you, you, know, you kind of peak for your strength sometime between 20 and 30, and in rare cases at 41 years old. You're not buying that at all, are you? Um, but I was thinking of my kids. We had a we cleared out our living room to make room for that, uh, the singles dinner. We had a blast. We had 30 people over, a ton of fun for that dinner. But we, we moved all of our couches to one room. And so that was just too much fun for them. So we let them do a sleepover school night, no matter what, on all those couches. They were just having a blast. The next day when I said, all right, get all your blankets and pillows back upstairs, I realized I'd been babying my six-year-old Titus a little too much when he's like, oh, I can't, I can't. And you're like, son, son what are you talking about? Now, now for granted, a pillow is huge to a child, right? A blanket is huge, but he's a big boy that I think I've helped way too many times bringing his stuff upstairs. And I figured that out because then he called to me later this week and said, Dad, I need you. And I had just settled into that spot on the couch that was just like, it was the time, the spot, the fatigue, everything was perfect. And so I was yelling back at him, this better be important because I'm not moving. And I kept, we had a dialogue back and forth. It is, it is. His pillow and blanket were on the floor and he wanted me to put them on the bed. And I said, I'm gonna strangle you. I said, you can do this. He goes, yeah, but what if I don't know where it goes? I'm like, you, mm. <laughs> I never got back to that spot on the couch. That was, that was perfect for me. But listen, maturity is expected. And it's true spiritually as well. And this portion of Hebrews is going to call us to, to continue to grow in our maturity. And it's going to warn us of the dangers of immaturity. But even when we fail, Jesus is better. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, where it says, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. We see here that, that Jesus is better than our failures. Thank God. He's still there to help us even when we fail. Now, it's not always spiritual rebellion that leads to sin. It, spiritual immaturity is a leading cause of spiritual failure. And we're gonna see three reasons that we've already read about for our immaturity that we need to overcome. The first is sometimes we're immature due to a lack of effort. 
The, the writer here just says, you're not even trying to understand. There's no effort that you have in understanding the word of God. But we should put an effort into that because one of the defining attributes of the scriptures is that it's clear. The, the name for it is terrible. It's one of those horrible the, theological names. It's called the doctrine of perspicuity. It just means clear, right? The doctrine of the Bible, the main points in the Bible are clear. That's how much God loves us, that he makes the main points in the Bible clear. And so we should put some effort towards understanding the scriptures. And so we should carve out enough time to be in the Bible. We should read the Bible. We should pray as we're trying to understand the scriptures. We should look at the passage in context. We should have a pen ready to see what the Lord is going to speak to us. We're blessed in our language to have so many commentaries and, and we have classes. If all else fails, we have classes like Explore the Bible, this next service that, that's taking good time to spend studying the Word of God. So sometimes we're not even trying. The second reason for immaturity is that we're, we may not be consuming the right spiritual food, at least for this season and stage of life that we're in. Verse 13, he talks about, hey, you're still drinking milk, but, but you're not an infant, but solid food is for the mature, right? There's a different nutritional diet as you, as you progress in life, right? And we, and we know this, that the moment you start feeding a kid some solid food, Something horrible happens in that diaper that is just beyond, why I don't even know why I'm talking about. It's just as filthy. I think in the beginning, the diapers aren't so bad because the Lord's just trying to help, you know, dads be involved or something. And like, oh yeah, I can change his diaper. It's not too bad. And then, oh my God. Listen, but the child needs to start having different food. You can't just continue on the same thing. There's a different food for each stage that we go through in life. I figured this out when I thought I was being like a rock star husband. And I was like, all right, I'm picking up multivitamins for myself. I'll get the woman's one for my wife. All right, she's going to love this. This is, I'm, is going to replace Valentine's Day in our house, right? And so I bring them home. I'm like, I was pretty thoughtful of me to pick you up a pack of multivitamins. She goes, oh, yeah? Am I 50? Am I over 50? I said, what are you talking about? And those vitamins were fine-tuned for somebody over 50. My wife is not 50. It backfired completely, although it was still thoughtful. I was thinking the wrong things, like you are an old woman or something. I don't know, but she didn't appreciate it. We have to ask ourselves, what should we learn next to continue to grow in spiritual maturity? What is it? Right? Is, it, is it joining a certain life group or a discipleship group? Is it doing a particular study? The Lord wants to continue to teach us about his word. And the third reason for immaturity is due to a lack of a strong gospel foundation. There are foundational truths about repentance, faith in God. Verses one and two say the resurrection eternal judgment. These are foundational. We have to know them inside and out to build on top of them. Now, the sad thing, and I don't say this lightly, the sad thing in Turkey is that the foundations weren't strong in those homes that were collapsing, that the, the building on top of those foundations wasn't built strongly, and so they just collapsed in a horrible way that led to such devastation. Well over 40,000 people have lost their lives already. It, it's about that foundation. It's about a strong building on top of a foundation. We need to know the good news about Jesus. It is the core of everything that we do. It's our foundation that we build upon. And if we don't want to collapse spiritually, if we don't want to stay in spiritual immaturity, we need to know the gospel. The gospel is not just for new believers. 
And this is so important, and, and the Lord really put this on my heart, that I've asked for a special class to happen this Wednesday night. If you want to know the gospel, we have a class called The Gospel Explained. You can just text the word gospel to this number. And this is not just if you're new in the Lord. It's if you aren't comfortable sharing the gospel with other people, then you need to come to this class. If you constantly wonder if you're actually saved, then you need to come to this class. If you wonder how the gospel should infiltrate every area of your life, then this is the class for you. It's important. I've, I've gone through it, and it is life-changing. And so we've got that this Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. that you can come and make sure your foundation in the gospel is solid. It couldn't be more important. Now, the next few verses we're going to look at, there's complete disagreement on them. They're just confusing. It's hard to understand what they are, but it should be a friendly disagreement and, and confusion that we can get past. Do you guys remember in 2015 when the internet exploded because of the white and gold dress or the blue and black dress? You guys remember this? On the count of three, shout out if it's white and gold or, or blue and black. One, two, three. Unbelievable. It's just like, it makes you feel crazy, like everyone's in a conspiracy against you. My wife and I see completely different things when we look at this. It came down to this photo was kind of washed out and had weird lighting, and people couldn't tell if it was outside or inside, so the shading was confusing. And just like proper lighting is needed to be able to understand what the real color is, which is black and blue, that's the real color. I don't see it. I see white and gold, but the real color, when you look at it, is black and blue. And so, just like proper lighting is needing for that, proper context is needed for verses four through eight if we're going to try and understand them. And people may have different opinions, and that's okay. And you know you, you're not reading this right if these verses are beating you down. If they are discouraging you and causing your hope to fail, then we're not reading it right. These, these verses are important, but we'll see the author wants us to still be encouraged. Verse four, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Now, the overall picture I think that's important for us today to realize is that even with our personal failure, if we're on the right team, we still win. Even if we're the weak link on the team, we're the one failing, we're the one messing everything up, if we're on the right team, we will still be victorious. We see in verses four through five, people that are having a big spiritual experience. And from our human perspective, the only thing I think we would agree on here is, yes, these are real Christians. You can't use phrases like you've tasted and, and you've shared in the Holy Spirit and not think that the author is talking about real Christians, true believers here in this moment. But we do have to remember that God's perspective sees perfectly. He sees more clearly and sometimes when we're like, oh yeah, that believer, that brother, sometimes that's not actually the case. Jesus said this himself in Matthew chapter seven. He says, not everyone, this is like the scariest verse in the Bible. So I would, if you are looking for something scary to do on Halloween, read this verse to your friends and family. It's terrifying. Matthew chapter seven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. 
Many people will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. This is horrifying because these are people that are serving the Lord effectively, but something's wrong in the heart. Something's wrong where they're, they're serving the Lord, maybe with the wrong motives, maybe to kind of build themselves up. Who knows? But Jesus says, I don't know you. We don't have a relationship. You think you're doing the will of my Father by serving, but the will of my Father is to repent of your sins and believe in the Messiah, in Jesus himself, and you're not doing that. You don't know me. And so it is possible, based on this verse, that you can display spiritual fruit temporarily, but still be spiritually dead inside, showing the soil of the heart is not in the right condition. Jesus had a parable in Matthew chapter four where he talked about four soils. He said the first is so hard, the heart is so hard that when the gospel is shared, it just lays on the top and the birds come and take the gospel right away. It never actually gets in there. And then for the second two, he says, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for th other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And only that fourth category, a soil that is well prepared to receive the gospel, bears fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. And so Jesus tells us a few different times that looks can be deceiving. Now, back in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 6, the context needs to be king in this situation. The writer of Hebrews, keep in mind the name of the book, Hebrews, this is written to Jewish Christians, Messianic believers. The writer to Hebrews is saying, if you retreat back to Judaism, religious repentance and these acts of religion will do you no good. It's forsaking Jesus, ultimately crucifying him again is the figure of speech shown there. This is especially true for those with a Jewish background because they would be taking up animal sacrifices again for their atonement, denying the work of Jesus, the once and for all sacrifice that happened on the cross. It's a giant slap in the face to God to say, what Jesus did for me once and for all wasn't enough. I'm going back to Judaism. I'm going to sacrifice animals for my sin. That's leaving Christianity. If you aren't saved in Jesus, you're not saved at all is what the author is trying to communicate here. The idea is not if you fall away, you can't ever come back to Jesus. But if you turn your back on Jesus, don't expect to find salvation anywhere else. But there's a difference between falling and falling away. And the easiest way to think about it is Peter and Judas. Peter fell. He, he denied the Lord three times. And you think, man, denying the Savior, denying Jesus in his time of need, it's over for Peter. But he wept bitterly, eventually repents of this sin, and is welcomed back into a relationship with Jesus. Judas betrays Jesus almost in a similar way, but then his heart remains hardened. He's remorseful, but not repentant, and so he dies in his sin. Falling away is turning from Jesus and saying, he cannot save me, he is not my king. Falling is what all of us in this room do. We all fall in our sin, and we get up and continue to follow the Lord. It's his perfection that matters. 
Now, this has nothing to do with those that fear they aren't good enough. If that's you, if you have an anxiety, I just don't think I'm good enough, I just don't think I'm gonna make it in heaven, that more likely points to the fact that you're in a good relationship with the Lord, that the Holy Spirit is keeping your heart soft than anything else. But as we look at seven and eight, we see one way that we can have some assurance of our salvation. It says, land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is, is worthless and is in danger of being cursed, and in the end, it will be burned. So if we really bear fruit, then we can say we're abiding in the vine. If we're holding on to Jesus and he's making our lives fruitful, he's bearing the fruit of the spirit in our hearts and we are a part of his kingdom, then we can say we're abiding in the vine. We're hanging out with Jesus. We do have a relationship with him. We know him and he knows us. But we need to inspect the right fruit because it's obviously not just serving the Lord, although that's important. I think the easiest way to think about the right fruit is that it is love. Love is hard to fake, right, isn't it? Jesus said this in John 13, by, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You can't really fake love, it's just too hard. Eventually hatred will, 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 say, will come out if we're not really loving. Eventually the wrong motives will come out if we're not really loving. But if we love Jesus and that's why we're serving him, that is the right motive. And so Jesus is better than, than our failures because he's, he's the star player that guarantees our victory. We just have to be on his team. We just need to know, do I know the gospel? Am I in a relationship with God? Right, if we have that foundation, we keep falling and Jesus keeps winning and we're on his team. It was just this last week or two that the uh, NBA trade deadline happened. I usually just watch March Madness and college basketball, but I'll, I'll watch the NBA finals. But the trade deadline was exciting. All these big name players are getting traded all over the place. And, and I think the Brooklyn Nets just had a bad day when they were thinking about life and they traded away all their, their stars and, and figured out something else. Some teams were so willing to get a star player, they were trading first round draft picks up to 2029. There, there, there's one team that has, is stacked now, I think it's the Jazz, with all these first round draft picks, 15 of them through the next decade. They're just set up for success. People are literally trading away their organization's future to gain a star now to see if that was the right decision. Well, listen. Jesus is that star player. Jesus is enough, and we need to make sure that we're on his team and make whatever trade is necessary to make that happen. You will never regret anything you give up to gain Jesus. If there's an obstacle between you and the Lord right now, and you think, well, I don't know if I, if I truly follow Jesus, then I'll have to give this up, and I don't think I can do that. You're, you're not gonna regret that. Don't trade your future away for this thing, this object, this, this obstacle that's between you and a right relationship with God. You need Jesus on the team. There's nothing we can do to overcome our sins apart from Jesus, and we won't regret that trade at all. But there's hope. Look at chapter six, verse nine. It says, the author admits this was pretty rough. He says, even though we speak like this, like this was, this was hard for me to say, Dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. We want each of you to show his same diligence to the very end so that what you hope may be fully realized. 
We don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those through who faith and patience inherit what has been promised. When God made this promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. And then verse 19 says, so we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. There is hope for us in spite of our past failures. Nobody's sitting here today and listening or, or watching online or in the classic service. Nobody can say, well, I've crossed the line and there's no turning back. There is hope no matter what we have done. The author knows this is harsh. And so he says in verse nine, we are convinced of better things in your case. Things involving salvation. He's like, I don't think this is you. Some people need to hear that harsh message. Some people need to hear that you can't fake it. You can't mock God and say, sure, I'll take the whole heaven and salvation thing and I will live my own sinful way here on earth. But hey, I got God, right? I tricked him. I'm going to heaven and I get to live. You just can't do that. Some people need to hear the harsh message of verses four through eight. But most people need to hear the encouragement of, of the author saying, we're convinced of better things in your case. We're just saying this to inspire diligence. Verse 11, show this same diligence to the very end. He's saying, God hasn't forgotten your love and your works and your relationship and, and the fruit you have right now with him. He hasn't forgotten that. And so continue to be diligent to the end so you can receive the full blessing that he has for you in this life. It says, so that you may... Uh, so that what you hope for may be fully realized. Salvation will be realized by all those who are true believers. But the blessings of God that he has for us right now may not be fully realized. Sometimes when we live in spiritual immaturity, we have excess pain, unneeded pain that we go through because of our bad choices, because of sin. But we also miss out on extra spiritual blessings the Lord wants to give us because we continue to make immature decisions that lead towards sinfulness. And so he says, don't you want to inherit what has been promised, the blessings that God has for us in earth? Listen, a true believer fails at various times throughout their life, fails epically, but continues on to the end because of the faithfulness of our high priest, Jesus. It's okay that we fail so bad at times. There's a consequence. There's unneeded pain that we experience, and sometimes we miss out on a blessing that the Lord wants to give us. But if we're on the team of Jesus, he will see us through to the end. And so, we're told in verse 12 to imitate those through faith and patience who have received this promise, and the example we're given is Abraham. Now, it's kind of wild Abraham is the example of faithfulness that we're reading about. This is a man who believed in God but failed all the time, right? He failed so much, leading to more pain than he needed to experience, more pain than his family needed to experience. Twice out of fear, he lied about his relationship with his wife. This is, this is a pretty big failure to say, uh, she's not actually my wife. He's worried that people are gonna kill him if they find out he's married to such a beautiful woman. It's, it's like a weird backhanded compliment right? You're so beautiful. I'm going to tell everyone I'm not married to you because they may kill me 
to take you. And this is the fear that this man of God, this man of faith lived in. Twice he lied and God had to get him out of that situation and get them out of town before anyone else tried to take Sarah as the wife. One time to try and fulfill a promise of God that was so unbelievable to him, he slept with his wife's servant to try and produce the the heir that he thought God wanted to give him. That decision led to so much pain for that family, for the people of Israel. It's unbelievable. But he still received the promise. How? How did he still receive the promise? Because, verse 14, God swore by himself, I will surely bless this is, this is amazing because normally when there's a covenant, when there's an agreement, there's two different parties and both need to keep up their end of the bargain if it's going to work. But in this situation where God is saying, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, he's, he's kind of shaking his own hand. He says, I'm gonna give you the promise. Why is that important? God doesn't lie. It's impossible for God to lie. And he says, I will surely bless you and your descendants. And then just to make an emphasis, he says, I will swear to myself. I'm swearing by myself. People swear on all kinds of silly and ridiculous things to say, no, I'm really telling the truth. I swear. And often people say, I swear to God. Right? I swear, I swear to God. And then God here is saying, I swear to myself. There's nothing more reliable than that. I promise that I don't lie. For your sake, I sweared by myself because there's no one greater. This is going to happen. And it did happen for Abraham. His, his child became a nation of Israel eventually. But this promise is for us as well. The gospel is something to hold on to. We are promised based on who God is that we can believe in this. And as we see in verse 19, it's an anchor for our soul. And it says, firm and secure. You need to have a firm and secure grip on the anchor if it's going to matter. I told a boat story of a boat drifting away last week. And on Valentine's Day this past week, another one happened. The New Zealand Navy, the Royal Navy there, had to go and rescue a catamaran that had drifted out to sea. But this one tried to do the right thing. He had anchored during a cyclone. The cyclone Gabrielle is, I think, the worst in New Zealand's history. And so he knew, we're not going to make it without an anchor. The storm was so strong that the anchor snapped. And then he's out on these wild waves. The helicopter couldn't rescue him because it was too dangerous. And they finally went and got him. Even though he did the right thing, he put an anchor down, he still drifted away because the anchor snapped. And it's a great picture for us that if we rely on anything besides Jesus for our security, it will fail. There is no other way to the Father except through Jesus. There is nothing that keeps us safe and secure except for God himself swearing to himself saying, you are safe in my hands. You are eternally secure. I have you and I cannot fail. I can't lie. I can't break my oath. I can't change this promise that I've given you. You are safe in the Father's hands. This is an anchor for our soul. But an anchor is only effective when you can't see it, right? It's anchored into the ocean floor, but you can't see that as it's helping you. Just like our faith is in an unseen God who promises to hold us firm and secure. Jesus is better than our failures because he is the only one strong enough to see us through every storm in this life, even the ones we bring about ourselves. 
Jesus wants to do that for us, but we need to know the gospel if that's gonna be a reality for us. The scriptures don't say just because you're a human, you're a part of the family of God. No, we confess our sins, we put our trust in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation, saying the only anchor that is going to keep me safe and secure and get me to heaven is Jesus alone. And if we do that, we are safe and secure in the Father's hands. And if that's not a decision that you've made, then I I just wanna give you an opportunity. I can't think of what's more important than knowing the assurance of your salvation. So if everyone would just close their eyes and if you're a believer here, if you wanna pray for those in the room that are not, Does anyone here that wants to make this decision to say, for the first time in my life, I want to declare that Jesus is my Savior? Jesus is the one. If there's anyone here, just go ahead and raise your hand so I can lead you in a a simple prayer. Awesome. Great. Awesome. You can just pray something like this just to express a sincere heart to the Lord. Say, Father in heaven, I know that I'm a sinner. I need your salvation. Jesus is my anchor. Jesus is God. He lived perfectly. He died on the cross for my sins and rose again three days later. And I am safe in him. Fill me with the Holy Spirit and give me the strength to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, then the assurance of salvation is yours. We want to welcome you into the family of God. That is amazing. That's not a simple journey, though, and so I would love for you to come up and talk to me after the service. You can text the word journey um, and, and let us know so we can guide you through that. But praise God. And we'll see you guys here next week as we're back in the book of Hebrews. See you soon.